My goals in my life are to be a good father, to be, fuck you. <laughs> So the reason I'm single. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> yeah, because your wife stopped fucking me for free. You guys ready to see your headlines tonight? And should you guys be like the exhibits at a pro-choice rally or something? Watch you say the very funny things, Carol! Hey, welcome everybody. You are listening to Peek Behind the Curtain. My name is Vince Crone, and this is my weekly podcast. I'm a comedian of 18 plus years. I've been doing this a long, long time, and I'm bringing you behind the scenes to see some of the different insights of being a comedian and what my story has to tell. If you want to know more about me, go subscribe and follow on all my social media platforms. I'm at Vince Crone on all of them. Tons of great content out there. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow. Make sure you like. Make sure you do everything that's going to feed my ego and make me feel fucking good about something for once. So let's dive into this past week. What have I been up to since the last podcast? I hit the road this past weekend with a comedian named Anthony Bonazzo, and we went up to Nagani, Michigan, which is in the UP of Michigan, and then we came down and went through Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin. So on Saturday night, the show was Anthony and myself. Anthony was going to do 30 minutes. I was going to do 45 to 60 minutes on stage. And because this is a smaller town, they don't have an opening comedian. They don't have an MC or a host. So what they do is they use somebody who works at the venue, and that person just introduces the comedians. They don't do any time. They don't tell any jokes. They just introduce the comedians. That's their sole job. This individual came up to Anthony and asked how to pronounce his last name, and Anthony said Bonazzo about uh, 10 different times, and that person, uh, the host, went up on stage and said, give it up for your first comedian tonight, Anthony Bozo, and totally fucked up and butchered his name, which isn't a big deal, that happens, and uh, after Anthony got done, Anthony had a great set, by the way, had a lot of laughs in the crowd, and after he got done, the host went back up on stage and said, did anybody else find him not funny or just me, and he raised his hand. And nobody else in the crowd raised their hand. And Anthony shouted at him, you know, hey, why don't you do five minutes right now? Go ahead and fucking do five minutes, you know? And uh, and the host wouldn't do it. And uh, the host introduced me and didn't give me a last name, just said, here's your next comedian. He's got a bunch of albums, Vince. And he brought me up to the stage, and I was so pissed off, and I was so uh, I was so bothered by that. I've never seen that happen before, where the host, uh, for no good reason, just shit all over the other comedian, especially when that host isn't a comedian themselves. And I got up on stage, and I ripped into this individual for a little bit before I started my set, to the point where I actually started turning people off of my of my my humor a little bit because I was just so fucking mad about what he did to Anthony. And then uh, I won the crowd over throughout my act. I think I did almost an hour on stage. And at the end of my set, I said, you know, did everybody in here have fun tonight? They all cheered. I said, give it up nice and loud for my hilarious friend Anthony. And the place cheered. And I said, now let's get your fucking terrible host back up here. And I dropped the mic stand on the ground and walked off the stage. And then he came back up and he said, all right, you know, uh, give it up for Vince. And by this point, the crowd turned on him. And the crowd looked at him and said, why don't you tell us a joke, man? And he started to tell some shitty knock-knock joke, fucked it up, said he didn't remember the rest of it, and he got booed off stage. So, fuck him, we win. So this week's episode is a little bit of, a, of an emotional one for me. Um, there's, a, there's a crazy backstory I want to share with you. 
But uh, before I do, I want to play you a clip. People always say, you know, how do you come up with your material? How do you write your material? And the truth is, comedians, we write from our heart. We write from our personal experiences. We write from our tragedies. We write from the from the from the different levels of uh, of excitement fear, and all points in between that we have in our life. And we bring that to you on stage and try and bring that to life to relate with you. So I want to play you a clip from February 22nd, 2013. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I haven't performed in three months. It's been a while. I, uh, back in November, the doctors told me that uh, I had cancer. This is not a joke. I uh, went in thinking I had uh, mono, and they said, nope, you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they did... Yeah, so you just heard that. February 22nd, 2013. It was my first time back on stage in about three months. Okay, it all started on November 17th. It was a Saturday. I remember I was hanging out with my brother-in-law, and I started feeling just a little bit off. I started feeling a little run down, a little sick, and I couldn't quite point out like exactly what what was wrong. I couldn't, I couldn't exactly identify how, why I wasn't feeling well. But just something felt off. And uh, and throughout the next four or five days, I felt so, just so run down and so tired. I started sweating through my clothes and the sheets every single night. I'd wake up just completely drenched and, and waterlogged. My back started hurting. I started just losing uh, weight randomly. I just started out of nowhere without hitting the gym, just started losing a pound each day. I wasn't overly hungry. And again, I've never felt that kind of tired before in my entire life. Then on November 22nd, which was Thanksgiving, I was at my parents' house and I nodded off at the dinner table. As everyone was sitting around eating Thanksgiving dinner, I started falling asleep and just passing out at the dinner table to where I had to, I had to wake up, excuse myself, and just go lay on the couch and, and just close my eyes, and I, was, and I fell right asleep. And, and I didn't know what was going on. I had been around a couple people recently who had had mono, and there was no reason to believe that I should have caught it. I wasn't, I wasn't kissing anybody or doing anything, but uh, I, that was the only reason I could think that I felt so shitty and so tired. So I made a doctor's appointment, and on Saturday, November 24th, I went to the doctor, and, uh, and I thought I had mono. And I was explaining my symptoms, and uh, the, the doctor said, okay, yeah, that's going around, no big deal. Let me just take some blood work to see if it's mono, then we can get some type of prescription out. And so I did that. I, I, gave, I did my blood work, and I, and I left, and I started actually feeling somewhat better. And I, I don't know if it was the placebo effect of now I went to a doctor, so I'm feeling a little bit better about myself, or if, if uh, I just started randomly feeling better. All I know is three days later, I was kicked in the nuts with a harsh reality. I got a phone call from my doctor, and he said, you know, we got the results of your blood test. You don't have mono but your white blood cell count is very, very low. I want you to go see an oncologist soon, okay? And I didn't know a lot about the, the medical industry at that point in my life. And I and that, 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 that chilled me to the bone, having that phone call. And just, you know, because somebody else just goes about their day. And okay, and it's, not, it's not the doctor's fault, but he gives that information and then he hangs up the phone and he moves about his day and now I'm stuck around just just trying to act tough while while I'm constantly googling to figure out what the fuck is going on. 
Okay, and and nothing moves quick in the medical world. Okay, I got I did the the blood test on November twenty fourth. It took three days to get the blood the blood count back. Now they tell me they want me to go see an oncologist, and in the the quickest I can get to the oncologist is December first. You know, four or five days later. Okay, and that that may be normal. Okay, if you're a doctor, maybe that doesn't seem like a long time. As a patient, that's a fucking eternity to sit around having nothing to do but Google all the worst case scenarios. But as I was talking to my 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 wife, who I just married the month prior, October twelfth, twenty twelve, and now I'm I'm it's December first, and I'm going to the oncologist, and my wife and I go together, and. And the oncologist comes in and he he asks what's been going on. And I explain to him the you know the the night sweats and the weight loss and the fatigue and and he goes you know there's just it's probably a virus. There's stuff that goes around. It's you know don't don't worry yourself. It's probably just a virus. And then he gets to one spot on the left side of my neck and he feels it. And 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 I can I can sense that he's spending a lot of time on just that part of my neck. And then he he moved his hand back up to his neck. And then he felt it again and then touched the other side of my neck and did this routine of touching my neck, his neck, my neck, the other side of my neck over and over and over. And I don't remember the exact phrasing, but I know right after that he was like, okay, Vince, I'm going to go, I'll I'll be back. And he leaves the room. And my wife and I are just sitting there looking at each other and we're like, what the hell was that about? And I put my hand on my neck, on the left side of my neck, and I feel this massive lump in my neck. And I don't know how I never felt it before. If I turn when I, when I looked in the mirror, if I turned my head to the right, you could see the visible mass sticking out of my neck. And the doctor comes back in. And he's like, "What's going on? I see your face. You know, what's going on?" And I'm like, "Well, I was I was googling, you know, what happened with my neck." And he's like, "Yeah, well, let's talk about it. First and foremost, don't don't Google, don't scare yourself. But here here's the reality. This could very well be a virus. Okay, but." you also have all the symptoms of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I took a beat, and inside I was, I was just torn apart. On the outside, I'm trying to maintain composure, as, as is my wife, but on the inside, I'm just all the, all, all the life was just sucked out of me when he said that. And immediately, things got kicked into high gear. Okay, so on December 3rd, I went and I got a bone marrow biopsy. Okay, because what they have to do is if if it's if if cancer is in your bone marrow, you're automatically at a stage four, from my understanding of it. And so they have to give you a bone marrow biopsy to immediately start working backwards to take uh to take the worst off the table. Now, I don't know what goes through your head when when you hear bone marrow biopsy, but picture that for a minute. Picture somebody telling you you're gonna have a bone marrow biopsy. And not knowing what the hell that is, imagine, just imagine like all the all the worst case scenario shit that's in your head. Okay, and that's what's going on in my head. It's like a two days to just be scared out of my mind about having a bone marrow biopsy. Okay, and uh, my, my dad took me, he drove me to get the bone marrow biopsy, and they had to give me a shot of, uh, of Demerol. And it's it's a it's a sedative, and it's it's supposed to calm you down. And I think they gave me some some like numbing medicine as well. But uh, you lay on your stomach, and they take a, a. I didn't see what they put in me, but it felt like a, a really long needle with like a, like a hook on the end. Is really what it felt like to me. And and they go in there and they they scrape bone marrow off you like off of my tailbone area. Okay, and now for all the worst case scenarios that I was thinking about. It oddly enough, 
uh, it was it was it was massively uncomfortable, but it didn't hurt to where you probably think in your head when you hear bone marrow biopsy. Okay, and uh, but he, but he scraped all around, and and you could feel the thing moving around, and uh, and it, it was unpleasant. But then he then it was done quicker than I thought, and he said, "Okay, um, so how do you feel, Vince?" And I said, "Well, you know, uh, I, I feel okay." And he's like, "Do you want to sit for a while, or do you want to leave?" And I said, "Well, I'd like to leave." And so I stood up, and as I stood up, I started getting tunnel vision. And I started getting a ringing in my ears, and I was walking up to the front desk to uh, to go check out. And as I'm walking up, I can feel like everything around me is moving super slow, even though I'm trying to walk. And I feel like I'm fading out. And I've never I've never passed out or fainted before in my life. And uh, but I, I can sense that's what's about to happen. And and I I feel massively sick. And I look at the lady at the front desk, and I'm like, I'm about to puke everywhere. And uh, and she's like, uh, Well, don't. You know, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I won't. Yeah, fuck off. And so I go, um, I go, I, I think I, I sat down on a on a chair or what. The next thing I know, I, I woke up and I had like an ice pack on my neck and a bucket in front of my face uh, in case I got sick. And my dad was in there and 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 they're they're putting water all over my face because I passed out. Okay, and um, I guess what had happened is with uh, with Demerol. It uh, because it it lowers your blood pressure to keep you calm. You can't you can't stand up too quickly, and you need to lay down for a while after you have it because uh, I, the, the 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 low blood pressure can make you faint. I guess is what is what I vaguely remember of that scenario. And so uh, I shouldn't have been able to to walk out of there. I was supposed to lay down for a while, but I remember when I when I came to, um, I couldn't speak. I was trying to talk and I couldn't, so I just kept blinking my eyes like I was trying to talk Morse code or something. And uh, and the doctor's like Vince, say something. And uh, you know, inside I'm like, I'm trying to say something, dickhead. Like, relax. And so finally, I was able to talk. They threw me on a table. I laid there for an hour, and then I went home. On uh, on on December sixth, I had to go get a PET scan. And I don't know if you've ever had a, a, a PET scan. I I had a CAT scan as well, but I had to get a PET scan. And I don't I don't overly remember the difference offhand, but. I do know with a PET scan, you have to drink this this barium, this this disgusting liquid, because it's what's supposed to light up your insides when they when they look at you through the PET scan to to see you know if you have any masses in your body because that's what we're looking for now. We've already tested for bone marrow uh, biopsy. Now we're going to see if there's any other masses in my body to see you know again what stage we're at. And I remember I I, I drank this medicine, and they tell you when you're drinking it, um, don't don't. Don't puke it back out because if you do, we can't get the test we need. And if you've never had this stuff, consider yourself lucky. It is the most disgusting drink on the planet. You're choking it down, gagging it every step of the way. How you don't get sick? I all all I could think of was just holding it down long enough to get this PET scan done so I can go throw up right afterwards. So now I'm becoming um, I'm becoming a lab rat. I've had a bone marrow biopsy and a PET scan. December seventh. The very next day, I get a phone call. The bone marrow biopsy came back negative. Thank God. Stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma is now off the table. 
Okay, so there's a slight moment of levity, slight moment of, of happiness, still completely and utterly scared because stage one, two, and three are on the table. They're telling me they believe it's lymphoma. They're telling me they believe it's Hodgkin's lymphoma, and uh, but they have to prove it. They can't start treatment until they can 100% prove it. And in the meantime, the days are ticking by. Not only do I feel worse, I'm also mentally now I'm getting worse because this thing started on November 17th. It's now December 7th, okay, and another 10 days. It's going to be a month, and I'm still no no better. On Saturday, December 9th, I remember I was at uh, I was at Champs Restaurant in Schaumburg, Illinois, with my mom, dad, and my wife. At this point, I'm eating very little. I don't feel I don't feel good still, and we're we're leaving for the day. And my wife and I are going to go home. My parents are going to go back to their house. And as we're walking out of Champs, I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. I get a phone call from the nurse, and she says, you know, Vince, we have the results of your of your PET scan, which we've been waiting for for three days now. So we're, we're all, my parents, you know, they, they can tell from what I'm saying on the phone that this is the call we've been waiting for. The nurse tells me, Vince, it looks like the lymphoma is in your chest your stomach and a little bit in your pelvic region. Your spleen is enlarged and you have a 4 by 4 mass on your neck. And and the way that the way that lymphoma works is if um if the lymphoma is below the waist, you're automatically at stage 3 or 4. Now 4 was ruled off the table with a bone marrow biopsy, but now stage 3 is looking like what I have. And uh, I hung up the phone and my and my parents and wife were just standing there just waiting and and I had to tell them you know, and, and, and try not to break down in front of them that I've got lymphoma in my chest, my stomach, and my pelvic region. And, you know, I remember uh, for the rest of my life, I'll remember the, you know, going to the car with my wife, not talking, watching my parents walk to their car and, and watching my dad break down right before he got in the car. Okay. And immediately I canceled all my comedy shows that were coming up. I dropped off the social media radar and I was just absolutely scared out of my mind. December 11th, I go in for a neck biopsy. So they're going to they're going to put me under. They're going to cut my neck open, and they're gonna they're gonna do a biopsy. Okay. Now uh, when they when they explain this to you, they're like you know so it's going to be a you know a, f- a fairly easy procedure. You know when you're done, you just you can't eat for a while or whatever it is. And so I go in on December 11th and I get the neck biopsy done. So. Uh, they, they cut it open. I wake up. I got a big patch on my neck. And uh, I remember telling the, the lady uh, afterwards when I was coming to, I think I'm going to throw up. And uh, and I remember she just, she took like this suction, uh, this like vacuum suction thing and just like, like a spit sucker at a dentist, but bigger and just like stuck it in my throat. So when I got sick at all, like it never even came out of my mouth. It all just went right into that thing from my throat. It was the weirdest, the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. But um but anyway, so that's on December 11th. December 14th, okay, the biopsy comes back. I get the phone call. Hey, Vince, we have the results of your biopsy. I'm thinking, great, because uh, at this point, the sickness becomes that I'm actually hoping it's cancer because I just want something so I can start treatment right away. In my mind, it's been almost a month. I could have been a month into chemo already. Now, I don't want cancer. I don't want to make it sound like I wanted it. But I wanted it to be something. So at this point, I'm just praying that that you just you have what it is, and we can just start working on treatment for it. 
And unfortunately, they called me on December 14th and said, the biopsy has come back inconclusive. We either didn't get enough of a sample or it just wasn't a good sample that we got. Trying to find cancer is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So we can either send your biopsy to another lab and wait a couple weeks for them to do some testing on it, or we can redo the procedure here. And I said, well, let's do both. Send it to another lab so I can get some results on that. But in the meantime, let's redo the procedure. And the doctor confirms once again he still believes it's lymphoma. So on December 18th, four days later, I go back and I get another biopsy on my neck. This is biopsy number three. I've got two neck biopsies right next to each other. It looks like I got knifed at some point. And and now and in and, and the second the second time I had that neck biopsy, it it laid me out. I was on I was on Vicodin like crazy. It really just this one I couldn't even I couldn't even turn my neck. I couldn't cough. I was in so much pain. On December twenty first, three days later, now we're over a month into this whole thing, I get a call again. It's inconclusive again. We didn't get enough of the biopsy. We can't find the cancer. So uh, so Christmas time comes and goes. Oddly enough, I felt better for a couple days there. And uh, on December 26th, I go back to the doctor uh, where he tells me nothing but sets me up with another appointment. So on December 28th, I end up going down to the University of Chicago Medicine to see a rheumatologist because they, they were talking about uh, another option of I might have something called vasculitis. And so, and that's the rheumatologist department. So I go down to the rheumatologist and he takes one look at my samples and he goes, nah, it looks like lymphoma. So vasculitis is off the table. I'm back to cancer. On December 29th, the the lab that uh, where, where, my, um, where my samples were getting sent to another lab at the University of Illinois, those results come back from another lab inconclusive. December 29th, one month and 12 days, and I've got nothing but a bunch of fucking holes in my neck and no answers. Happy New Year to me. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, which is me, and then we're going to come back to hear more of this crazy story. All right, so it's the new year. It's 2013. On January 9th, I wind up with 104.5 degree fever, like at 9 o'clock at night. And and I'm 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 feeling worse than I've ever felt in my entire life, and uh, my wife my wife my dad and I end up at uh, end up at the ER, and uh, where I have to sit forever. Okay, the emergency room. Who I'm in the process of suing for false advertisement because uh, nothing seemed to be treated like an emergency there. What they told me is you can't have anything to eat or drink because we don't know what's wrong with you. In the meantime, I've got 104.5 degree fever. I am burning up. I'm so dehydrated. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Uh, so about an hour and a half goes by of me sitting there. They finally get me in a room and they go, yeah, Vince, you know, you have double pneumonia. And I don't know what, what double pneumonia means even to this day, but if uh, if there's a pneumonia, I had it twice, I guess. But um, but both in my left lung, if that makes sense. It wasn't in both lungs. I don't know. But anyway, so what they tell me is because of my outstanding condition of, uh, of this potential Hodgkin's lymphoma, now that I'm in the hospital, they can't let me leave um, until they figure out what's going on. I mean, I can leave on my own free will, but they're going to keep me in the hospital now until they can figure out what's going on. Okay, and so I wind up uh, I wind up with a nebulizer treatment. I'm, I'm on oxygen. I've got a breathing treatment. They're waking me up every hour, you know, to, to check my vitals and shit. And, uh, you know, and, uh, hey, Vince, you okay? And you're like, you know, Vince, you sleeping? You're like, yeah, I was. 
you know, but uh, but I'm in a room by myself. I'm in isolation. Anybody that comes to see me has to wear a mask. And I remember uh, I remember sitting there, scared out of my mind. And the the next day came and went, and uh, nothing changed. They just gave me some medicine for my for my back, for my shoulder blade, which was because of the pneumonia, is why it hurt so bad. And they're giving me a bunch of, of Vicodin or you know hydrocodone or whatever. Um, and uh, and I'm sitting there, and I remember that's that night one of my comedian friends uh, named Ken Gar gave me a call because he had heard what was going on over the past month with me and he gave me a call he didn't know i was in the hospital but it was just good timing and i remember uh you know one of the first things he said to me was hey man um you know sorry to hear you're in the hospital uh if you die can i have uh this this bit that you do and he asked about a specific bit and and it was what i needed at the time i started laughing and uh, we just had a really good conversation it was motivating on january 14th i wind up with something called a bronchoscopy I believe I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, this is where they're going to go with a, a tube down my throat and try to pull lymph node out of my lung area to, to test that to see if that would be different than actually going in my uh, in my neck lymph nodes. And so they put me under for that. And, uh, and apparently, while I was under, my, my oxygen dropped massively and there were some breathing problems there. Uh, so during my fourth biopsy, I ended up having to be put on oxygen constantly from that point. Okay, that was in the morning on January 14th. In the afternoon on January 14th, my mom brought me up McDonald's. I'm eating chicken nuggets like I'm like I'm seven years old, sitting with mommy when I'm sick. And my mom's sitting there with me. And I'm supposed to have a, a, a surgery called meniastinoscopy. And this is where they actually uh, cut your throat and go in that way versus just going down uh, down your mouth like that bronchoscopy. Oh, by the way, the bronchoscopy came back inconclusive. Big shocker at this point. Hey, Vince, something's wrong. Nobody knows what the fuck it is. Hang in there. We'll be back in a few other days. Keep waiting. It's almost two months later. No big deal. And uh, I'm supposed to have this operation called a meniastinoscopy. And it's, uh, it's done by a thoracic surgeon. And you get to meet the surgeons before they operate on you. And so the thoracic surgeon came up to me and... Um, he said, "Hey Vince, I was looking at uh, I was looking at your uh, your blood work, and it looks like um, you know your uh, your your CD4 counts uh, are really off, and that's indicative of HIV. So I believe you have HIV. Actually, it, it doesn't even look like HIV. It looks like it looks like AIDS. So I don't think we should be doing this surgery." And he left the room. And my jaw hit the floor. I dropped my chicken nuggets, and my mom and I just stared at each other blankly as this asshole told me in front of my mother that I have AIDS. And immediately, I uh, I, I break down. Okay, my mom and I both break down, and I, you know, it's I. I I had no reason to believe that I had HIV or AIDS. I, I was I wasn't promiscuous. I, I wasn't sharing needles. I wasn't abusing drugs. There was there was no reason to believe that I would have it. The reason it scared me is I'd been sliced and diced so much in these hospitals and had blood taken from me so many times that I was actually scared that it came from them somehow, that maybe they did that in the midst of all of this. Like, maybe I didn't even have that, and that's unrelated to this cancer, but now I have that too. And so I started crying, and I had to call my wife and tell her, you know, that what this doctor said, and have to face the facts of telling my wife that she might have HIV or AIDS because of me. And uh, it was such a hard phone call to make. And my my wife was amazing. She um, she got on the phone with uh, with my doctor, um, and got me transferred out of this hospital. 
Okay, but before I got transferred out, my uh, my oncologist came in uh, to check up on me. And he asked me what was going on because he could see my face. I'd been crying, and I told him what the thoracic surgeon said. And this oncologist just lost all of his uh, all of his politeness and and and, and you know and uh, professionalism. And he, just go, and he just goes, "That motherfucker! He shouldn't be saying anything like that to you. They they're not supposed to fucking say who the fuck does he think he is." And he stormed out of the room to let that guy go have it. And that's when my wife got on the phone and got me transferred out of there and got me sent down to the University of Chicago Medicine. So. On January 16th, I was transferred down to the University of Chicago Medicine, where they had to start all of these tests over. So on January 18th, two days after being back in there, lymphoma is back on the table, and the University of Chicago Medicine's doctors are sending every different possible unit in to see me. Infectious disease, rheumatology, uh, vascular um, cancer, and everybody's starting to tell me they believe that I have whatever their specialty is. Infectious disease doctors saying they think it's that. Rheumatologist is saying they think it's a rheumatological disorder. Cancer doctors are saying they think it's cancer. And so now I'm just, I'm in a complete clusterfuck in my head thinking everybody's, you know, that that I've got everything. And by the way, um, AIDS isn't actually still off the table because my CD4 counts are still off. So every day they're testing me for AIDS, one of which came back a false positive. And, um, but I've still got what's going on in my head. So on January 21st, now five days after I've been in this hospital, um, they're going to do this menius dinoscopy. So they go into my, they're going to go into my throat, like cut, cut right into my throat, go down into my lungs, grab a sample, run the test right there. That's the benefit of being at a hospital like this. They're going to run the labs right there. And if they don't get what they need, they're going to actually cut my, my chest open and they're going to go right in, uh, right into the lung that way as well. And, uh, and I won't know what they're going to do uh, until I wake up. So when I, when I come to, I've got, uh, I've got the hole in my, I've got the, the, the cut in my throat and I look down, I've got a cut in my chest as well. So they didn't get what they needed the first time they had to actually go through my chest, fifth biopsy, sixth, sixth biopsy, neither one showed lymphoma, but it's still not off the table. January 30th. Now I'm home. I've been released from the hospital. Okay. And uh, since that meniastinoscopy, it's been nine days, and I've had massive fevers, and I'm coughing till I throw up all day long, every single day. And the doctors start telling me they think it's cryptogenic organized pneumonia, okay, COP, and nobody knows what the hell that is. All we're but but cancer's still on the table, okay. So just all we're doing is adding more shit and more worry in our heads, and uh, and then on. On February 5th, keep in mind this all started on November 17th. It's February 5th now. I've got a rash on my leg, okay, from the pneumonia medicine. And so I go see a dermatologist about it, and they do a biopsy, seventh biopsy, okay, and this tiny little puncture on my leg, the, the tiniest biopsy I've had. I've had seven. I've had bone marrow, three, in, like two in my neck, one in my throat, and in my chest, down my throat, this tiny little hole puncture on my leg. They call me two days later, and they say, Vince, you don't have cancer. You have a disease called Churg-Strauss syndrome. It's a form of vasculitis. Blood isn't throwing, blood isn't flowing through your lungs properly, and that's causing, uh, it's causing inflammation, which is causing the, the lymph nodes to have masses, which is sending all your lymph nodes out of whack. And they give me medicine. They give me prednisone steroids. 60 milligrams of prednisone steroids. They called me in the morning. I went and I picked up my prescription at noon, and I came home that day after taking the 60 milligrams, 
and I was probably 85% better by dinner. Cut to four days later, and I feel like I'm 100% better, like it never happened whatsoever. And I want to pause right here, and I want to play you that clip again that I played at the beginning with a little more context. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I haven't performed in three months. It's been a while. I, uh, back in November, the doctors told me that uh, I had cancer. This is not a joke. I uh, went in thinking I had uh, mono, and they said, nope, you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they did seven biopsies on me over the past three months, and then told me it was our bad. It wasn't cancer. It was some rare blood disorder that I got to take steroids for now. So for the past three months, I've been shitting myself, thinking I had cancer, cancel all my shows, kind of turn my life upside down. And then last week, they're like, no, you can go back to... Go back to life as normal, I'm like, thank God, because I got shit happening in Oswego that I really got to attend to. <laughs> so, it, it is my first show back in three months, and it is good to be back, cancer-free, so thanks for being here. See, so that's what comedians do. We take our experiences, our fucked-up journeys, okay, and, and we, we put them out there. I went through this process, and I've never been more scared of anything in my life, and throughout this whole process... When I canceled all my comedy shows and pulled myself off social media, I uh, I was fully determined to quit comedy. This was this was early 2013, late 2012. I've been doing comedy since May of 2001. I had 11 years. I'd been on the road all the time. I missed so many birthdays and holidays and friends parties and just moments with people over all those years that I remember just sitting there, just just so. So sad and mad going, if this is it for me, if they don't find out what's wrong with me and I cash in and, and, and this is this is where, where my life ends, was all that worth it? Was it worth being gone all that time and missing all these important things uh, to, to chase a dream, to chase, to chase uh, a pat on the back, to have this never-ending chase where no matter what you get, you're just going to be looking for the next thing and you're never going to be satisfied. And I just decided when I am done, I didn't miss comedy at all those three months that I was sick. Okay, I know now that I was just too depressed to, to miss it, but I didn't miss it and I didn't miss the social media aspect either of it. And I just thought it's the right time. I'm done. I'm going to spend time with family and friends and I'm done with comedy. And I had every single intention of quitting. Okay, I got a note that turned my opinion around. I got a lot of great emails from people. I got a lot of great support. Um, but uh, this particular note from Samara, who is a, who's a, a booker that I had known for, for years and years, she had, uh, she had reached out to me when I, when I told some people you know, what, my, uh, what my diagnosis was. And here was the email she sent me. Hi, Vince. Thanks for your note. I'm so sorry to hear about all you've been going through. As I read your note, I kept thinking, wow, you have a lot of strength. Your appreciation of people in life may have been a driving force to help you pull through. However, you may not realize how special you are. Anyone that brings laughter to others is special, so keep that in mind. I wish you well and hope you feel much better soon, so you may continue to share your gift of laughter as soon as possible. Samara. I saw that. And I had several different variations of that type of email, but it was that it was that those last few lines. Anyone that brings laughter to others is special. May you continue to share your gift of laughter as soon as possible. And that's when it hit me that I'm I'm thinking about quitting because I'm thinking about it all about me. And that's what I did with my comedy to that point. I made it all about me. It was my show. 
You didn't interrupt my show. You didn't fuck with my show. I'm up here for me. I'm the comedian. You listen. And that's not how it is. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And when she said that to me, it was like a punch right between the eyes. I can't quit. I can't quit. I have been given a gift in my life. I can do something pretty special. And I'm bringing laughter to others. It's not about me. It's about them. And I have, I have a gift of laughter that I need to share. It's my responsibility. Because I've been blessed with this gift, it is my responsibility to share this gift with others. And right there is when I decided I'm not chasing fame anymore. I'm going to do this because I love to do it. And I'm going to do it in the terms that I want to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to cancel personal events for my comedy career anymore like I had in the past. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take a gig every single weekend anymore and be gone for my family all the time. I'm gonna make people laugh. I'm gonna share my gift, but I'm gonna do it in a well balanced system that works for me, where I know that I'm doing this because I love to do it, and fame can go fuck itself. And this whole experience culminated in a, in a bit that I did on stage for a couple months while I had some leeway to still talk about it. And uh, you had heard that you had heard the beginning when on my on my first day back um, on uh, February 22nd, I was just kind of riffing through that. I didn't write any of that down. I was just kind of talking through it on stage. And then over the course of the next couple months, I had honed it a little bit, and uh, I had a bit which I called Fancer for fake cancer. So here's uh, here's what became of that bit a few months later. Oh, it's good to be here. I don't just say that because it's cliche to be a comic and come to whatever town you're in and go, it's great to be here, because most places it really isn't. I went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee a couple weeks ago, not that great to be there, but I told them it was. Um, I really am grateful to be here, though, because I had a very weird ending to my year last year. It's a true story. Uh, in November of last year, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. I didn't feel well, and I went to the doctor, and they ran some tests, and I said, Vince, you have a cancer, it's Hodgkin's lymphoma. And over the course of the next three months, they ran seven different biopsies on me. I saw some scars on my neck that you can see. And uh, the reason for the seven is every biopsy result came back negative, and they couldn't find the cancer they originally diagnosed me with. But they were so certain I had it, they had to keep pressing the issue. Finally, after three months, landed in a hospital bed, these doctors, these professional doctors of America who went to school for this, came up to me and said, Vince, it was our mistake, it's not cancer, it's a disease called vasculitis, go back and live your life like normal. And you're sitting there, like, for the past three months, I completely flipped my life upside down. I told all my family and friends, I canceled all my remaining shows, I started making arrangements for my next year on medicine, and they were like, nope, it's our bad, get back out there and do what you do, proceed like you used to, and I'm like, thank God, because I got shit at Snickers that I got to attend to in June. <laughs> laying in a hospital bed, sweating it out for three months, thinking I wouldn't be able to get there. <laughs> Thanks for pulling it together so quickly. And it's a true story. I know people want to make it up. It's a true story. That's why I tell you about it, so you don't go home and make up your own stories about the elephant in the room. I do have visible scars. I don't want you leaving here going, yeah, we saw this comic that got knifed right before he came up on stage. I didn't mention it. No, it's, it's a disease called vasculitis. And to you, that means not cancer. So nobody gives a shit. That's where it stops. <laughs> Everyone's like, cancer, oh, bitch, you can fuck yourself. You can deal with that. <laughs> Think how pissed I am. I gotta start writing thank you cards. I told everybody on Facebook I had cancer. <laughs> it's a weird time in the hospital. Have you ever been there? I'm not making light of it. It's a weird experience. You're grateful they saved your life, but the extent they go to to save it makes you question that these are really the best people to be working on you, or are they just rolling the dice like everybody else? 
you know, nurses would come up to me every day, very sweet, and they would go, Vince, what's your pain level? What level of pain are you at? You're like, shit, I'm in a lot of pain. I don't know how to define that to you on a level standpoint that it hurts. And, but they don't just leave you hanging, they help you out. They give you a sheet of ten smiley faces <laughs> that gradually turn to sad faces. Each one of those represented by a number, and that indicates your level of pain. And that's how you help them identify. They're like, Vince, what's your pain level? And I'm like, well, do you have a mirror so I can properly diagnose myself? <laughs> I don't want to screw up, give you the wrong face, and wind up the wrong fucking medication in here. And you start thinking, should I fade more of a frown? Maybe get the dosage upped a little bit? But there is a balancing act there. I don't know where the degree of health goes from one end of the scale to the other. At the low end of the scale, you get jello. At the high end, you get a priest, and I don't want to fuck up and get my last rites. So I'm sitting there like, hmm. I don't know, maybe a seven? And she's like, ah, seven, and she writes on the board, seven. To this day, I still don't know what that does, but it was motivated, it was flawed. So she's like, where do you want your pain level to be? Where's your ideal pain level? And you're like, oh, zero. Does anybody say anything other than zero? Are there people that optimistic laying in a hospital bed going, if you get me down to a three, I'd stop whining for the day. You could take this back to a dry pickle in the shits. I think that would suffice. <laughs> so anyway, they finally got it right for what it's worth, and I guess for all intents and purposes, it is good to be here in Fort Wayne three months later, cancer-free. It's always a plus. And that, no, don't, don't clap. I, I didn't beat it, I never fucking had it. You can't, you can't be happy for me, it was an accident. <laughs> I'm not a hero, I'm a hack, it's just a trigger word for training cancer, woo, you know, I, I'm nothing, I didn't do anything, I just made a mistake and I was the unlucky victim, that's it. It was a weird ending to my year though, about a month before that happened, I got married on October 12th of last year, I got married, and I don't clap for that either. Because I wish somebody would come up to me and be like, just kidding, you didn't get married, but that fucking happened. So that is my story of being misdiagnosed with cancer. So I had, uh, I was about to record a new album before all this uh, hospital stuff happened, and that album was going to be called It Could Be Worse. And when I came out of the hospital, I had so many different thoughts and ideas that I ended up scrapping most of that album of, of It Could Be Worse, and uh, I started writing for what ended up becoming my, uh, my album No Complaints. So I still have a whole uh, bunch of material and a bunch of audio clips from what was going to be It Could Be Worse, and that's a story for a different podcast one day when I'll share that. Thank you so much for listening to me. Uh, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, like my Facebook page, and follow me on Instagram and Twitter. All of those are at Vince Carone. I post new videos on YouTube. Make sure that you share those with your friends. Share my posts. Share things with people. That's the most important part about all this. If you have any questions for me that you would like answered on this podcast, you can send me an email at Vince at VinceCarone.com. Whether it relates to this topic or next week's topic, I'll be happy to share the question and answer it for you. Send me a message. I'd love to hear it. I have rants on my website now. If you go on my homepage, you can see uh, my rants about my weekend shows. And this upcoming week, I am hitting the road. Check my website for details at www.vincecarone.com. Next week's podcast, I'm going to be talking about working the MGM in Las Vegas for the first time 
and meeting Brad Garrett. Thanks and have a great week.